0: Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello, and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and we are so excited about this month's episode for a couple reasons. First and foremost, I'll let Mike Hansen talk about this, but we are officially
1: back in studio and not on Zoom. Coach Hanson, how does this feel to you today? I've never thought I'd be this excited to see people's mouths and noses and face-to-face versus looking at a screen. So it's definitely nice to be back. Absolutely.
0: Man, I tell you what, uh, this has been a build-up into our studio here, uh, that, that organized, and edit. I was so excited just to be in the room and see see them and smiles and and just human interaction. So, special thanks to our studio and to Mike. You've done a great job of just keeping us going through this pandemic. So, hats off to you, my friend. Yeah,
1: appreciate it. Happy to so, be back.
0: With that, we'll jump into this episode today. to To me personally, I know Mike is a is a special episode. It's one of our very own uh, Coach Zach Zilner is in the house. Coach Zach, say hello to the listeners. What's up, listeners? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll have a little fun today since we can see each other. We may prod a little bit, so that'll be part of the show. And uh, glad to have that back. Zach, so thank you for being on making time to do this. We've been looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. The studio, make, I feel like uh, Eminem and 8 Mile oh, down here. This is, yeah, this this is
0: legit, top notch. you going bust out a little
2: rap.
1: Exactly. No. Maybe at the end if, <laughs> if
0: you
2: guys are lucky.
1: Right, right. What have you been up to this summer? I know you've been... Uh... You can um, ride in the bike around. You know me riding the bike
2: around Austin, seeing the sights, um, training the Lady Longhorns, mm-hmm. and uh, enjoying all the breakfast tacos I can get in Austin Amen. for sure.
0: I know. You cannot, to the listeners, if you've never been to Austin, you've got to come get food. It's not our fault if you put weight on, though. All right. You need to train. So why you, you got come. the bike rides, right? That's right. There. You got to get the bike rides. So, Zach, thanks for being on and uh, super excited to interview you today. Just a little bit about Zach, and then we're going to kind of jump into that first question. Zach uh, is going into his fifth year here at the University of Texas as the head coach for women's basketball athletic performance, does an incredible job. He's currently been uh, managing through a uh, coaching transition. He'll talk about that in a minute, but been in some great stops along the way. He's been at Kansas, he's been at Illinois, and in Southern Miss. What I love about Zach, you'll hear today, he's just worked with a ton of different sports, uh, different experiences that brings a lot of value to w- the way you look at coaches, the way you look at athletes, and the way you just train and, and, and prescribe performance. Uh, so, with that, Zach, your first question: just take a minute for for everybody listening, kind of introduce yourself. Uh, where are you from? What is we talked about your role? Like, how did you get here? Give us a little more details on that, and then uh, any coaches that kind of have influenced you along the way to get here?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Zach Zillner, like coach said, I'm from Kansas City. I did my undergraduate work at the University of Kansas. Um, how I got there like anybody else with strength and conditioning, I think we had a love uh, of working out. For some reason, we just enjoy pushing each other, pushing ourselves, uh, me to like, places I'd never been before. Um, I think it was more of like a mental, physical type outlet thing. Um, and I think... Back when I was in high school, I was trying to describe that I wanted to work with athletes, and I don't think that was very popular at the time. Everyone was like, so do you want to be an athletic trainer? And I'm like, no, I, I want to teach people how to lift weights, run fast, jump high. And they're like, well, you want to be you know, a physical therapist? I was like, no, lift weights, jump high, run fast. And so it's funny, my senior uh, year in high school, um, going into my freshman year of college, uh, my mom... Uh, She had a marketing agency at the time and her receptionist uh, retired. And so she was like, hey, you're going to work for two weeks till we find a new receptionist. I was like, oh, perfect. I get to answer (laughs) phones all day and whatnot. But it ended up uh, turning out to uh, make my career actually take off. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the women that worked for my mom, uh, she was asking me, what did I want to be? And I was like, you know, I want to train athletes. I want to lift weights, run fast, jump Jump high, all that stuff. And she's like, (laughs) my brother-in-law actually does that and I was like no way And she's like yeah North Carolina I was like wow North Carolina that's big time and so she gave me his email address I emailed him and he actually knew one of the coaches at the University of Kansas Derek Connold. so I as a young dumb high school guy just emailed Derek I was like hey I live down the street would love to come up and visit you Um, show me the facility do whatever like huge Jayhawk fan I'd love to you know see what you guys got going on up there and I, got, I lucked out, and he returned my email. I went up there. He gave me the tour all around, and I was like, Coach, I'd love to intern. He's like, well, you got to ask um, the boss if you can do that. And then the boss that time was Andrea Hooty. Um, so I knocked on her door, introduced myself. She's like, well, we don't really do that stuff until you're graduated. And I was like, well, I'll do whatever. I'll clean. I'll do grunt work. Like I can do that kind of stuff. And she's like, all right, well, talk to Derek. Figure something else out and um, her joke was basically she was just trying to run me out. Um, She was like, well, you can't do any teams until you've cleaned the whole weight room in our weight room. If you guys have seen it, it's like a football weight room. It's huge. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, well, the teams work out at 6 in the morning, and basketball works out at 2, so I need to get there before the team's at 6 to start cleaning so I can watch those morning groups and then go to class and somehow sneak back, clean a bunch so I can watch her coach men's basketball because at kansas that's that's king out there oh, yes. and so right. um lucked out she didn't end up firing me or getting rid of me um and then about halfway through my sophomore year we had a bunch of the olympic coaches leave and take new jobs and so at that time it was her and myself she was in the middle of hiring everyone so she's like hey you've watched enough people like let's start coaching let's get it going i was like all right let's go and so anything I'd learned in those first two years of freshman sophomore, um, I just tried to keep my head above water and not screw up too bad. So my responsibilities at the time were cheer, dance, and then I assisted with track. Um, and obviously basketball and all that. So it was a crazy cool experience. Um, She'd probably get mad at me for saying this, but I'd try to skip class if I knew that a certain team was coming in that I wanted to work with or a certain coach was working. So... Yeah. I try to finagle the system of run to class, run there. Um, but that's kind of what taught me the importance of reps, like coaching reps. Um, the only way you get better at coaching is actually coaching. So if I want to be a good coach, I need to actually point. Yeah. coach. Um, so I graduated from the University of Kansas. Um, then I left with one of the basketball coaches to Southern Miss. Um, I was the director for uh, men's basketball, women's basketball, and volleyball. I was 23 had no idea what I was doing. I'd never been in charge of anybody or anything, but you're the director, so you you gotta fake it, fake it till you make it down there. So I remember going down there and we had three players on the men's basketball team who were older than me. And my GA was older than me. Um, So I'm like, how am I gonna come here and convince these people that they need to listen to this short guy from Kansas? So luckily I had some great um, coaches around me to kind of help me going, uh, get going. But I think the biggest thing was building relationships with those athletes. As far as, um, let me teach you why we need to do this stuff. Um, how is this going to help you be a basketball player, better volleyball player? Um, I think definitely I'm a teacher first when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, and then from there, I had an opportunity to work at the University of Illinois. I did women's basketball, volleyball, both golfs. Um, I ran some cool uh, mentors up there, Randy Ballard. He's now their director of sports medicine. He was the athletic trainer for volleyball there. And I lucked out that the head volleyball coach was Kevin Hambley, who's now at Stanford. Stanford, right? yeah. yeah. So Kevin, unlike most sport coaches, he's a huge sports performance nerd, like probably loves this stuff almost as much as we do. So we'd sit down every week, Kevin, Randy, and myself, we'd go over the whole training um, of what we were gonna do, sets and reps, exercises. Um, and so I had to be on my A-game as far as I'm presenting every single workout to the coach and I need to have rationale behind it and he's going to ask intelligent questions of why am I programming this, why am I not programming that um, instead of, you know, most coaches, they're just like, well, let's get stronger and I don't care what you do, <laughs> but this is what we need to do. Um, but Kevin was different, which was awesome. Um, then towards my tail end, Adam Fletcher took the men's job there. Um, he showed me a lot about you know, coming into a new situation, um, bringing a new training culture in, how do you get these athletes that don't want to work out to work out, especially in the men's basketball space. Um, he was a huge help um, just as far as that kind of stuff goes and kind of navigating the politics that go with college athletics of who you need to talk to, what kind of relationships you need to make. Um, and then from there, I got my... Uh, what I thought was my dream job. Um, Coach Udi called me back to hire me at the University of Kansas to work with women's basketball, did softball, golf, tennis, assisted with men, so a bunch of sports. Um, And I thought just being from Kansas City, got to work with my alma mater. Um, What better way than to work at the University of Kansas? So I was there for 10 months. Um, Then I remember she knocked on my door and was like, Karen Aston called from the University of Texas. Um, she wants you to interview. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, you think I should do it? She was like, it's Texas. And I was like, <laughs> that's great. Okay, cool. Our yeah. interview. And then I called her. I was like, hey, I got the job. Um, what should I tell her? She's like, it's Texas. You go. And I was like, all right, well, see ya. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, moved down here. Um, Austin's a great city. Um, worked for Karen for three years and now coach Schaefer for one um, and starting my fifth year here with the Longhorns just working women's basketball which has been awesome it's now you're
1: down her. here with us
2: now I'm down here with you guys so I know. without that we wouldn't be doing this right now yeah. there's,
1: there's so many lessons that you just shared I mean you probably could do this with anyone's coaching journey but like there's so much to impact there like you talked about the importance of building relationships within an athletic department because politics is a thing they don't teach you in school Um, you talked about the very beginning, how you were just an intern trying to clean, right? You set yourself for opportunities and then all of a sudden the door opens and now you're able to go through it. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to point that out, that that was really cool that you just highlighted all those things, talking about why you're doing things and having to present it on a week to week basis. Um,
0: it's just cool to hear. Yeah. And that stood out to me too, Mike, when he, when he was given his whole kind of timeline was. I, and I never knew that about you, but that make I mean that makes sense with your DNA of kind of who you are. Just hey, I'll clean and do whatever just so I can get in the door. And I just don't know that people or or young professionals are willing to do that as much as they used to be. I would say. I mean, that was kind of when I first started coaching. That was pretty normal. But that's uh, that's pretty awesome. I think it's, I got that.
2: lucky that both my parents were super hard workers. My mom's entrepreneur, and my dad, um, same thing. He did a lot of. Uh, construction stuff so every yeah. job i'd have to do he's like hey come help me at this job site like you're gonna clean you're gonna move this you're gonna move that and so i was used to grunt work and he'd always tell me he was like you know if you can outwork somebody it doesn't matter how smart they are if you can outwork somebody you're gonna like where you end up and i had that mentality going through pretty much everything i do was well that you know even with athletics so oh, he's taller than me he's bigger than me i'll outwork him like uh, he's smarter than me we'll all outwork him um, and i think that mentality of in the weight room because i remember there was a couple other interns but they weren't willing to like clean all the stuff which right no one wants to do like that stuff sucks right. but i was like that's my one job and if these coaches are judging me off one thing i better do that really well
1: because that's yeah. my only skill right. that i
2: have to offer right yeah. at that point
1: point. and that's actually we were just talking about this in the office a couple of weeks ago is we had an intern maybe two years ago now and he's always been truthfully one of my favorite interns that we've had And I promise you, he like, he didn't know where to start with X's and O's, you know, he had barely been, you know, through a physiology Mm -hmm. college course. But like I said, he was one of the best interns who probably came through because he had that same mentality. And so I think that piece of advice or even that, that anecdote of yours of like, hey, I'll just do what I can control and do it as best I can. Like that serves interns way more than I think a lot of them realize. A
2: lot of them, they try to impress you with like, I read this book and I know this sure. me- training method like dude everyone knows. Yeah, or asking that stuff. you a question
1: they know the answer to because yeah. they're they're trying to highlight, hey, I you know, I read this too. Yeah, like, it's like everyone's read that
2: book. We get it. But like <laughs> what are you doing like especially when interns when there's more than one of them, it's like you guys are buddies now, you work together, but at the end of the day, all three of you guys are how many you're going to be in competition for the same job. And so, you should know all the methodologies, the science, all that stuff's a prereq in my book. But who's willing to do the extra stuff to take it to the next level? And your first job, it's going to be one of those jobs where, like, no offense, if you can't train somebody out of the weight rooms we work at at Texas or Kansas, like, you don't have a prayer. Right. Because, like, these smaller schools where you get your first job, like, I remember at Southern Miss, we had two racks, some dumbbells, and that was it. And it's like, how do you get 30 athletes through here? Right. And you got to get creative and you know, different stuff gets thrown at you and how are you going to adapt to those different situations?
1: For sure. And I just, yeah, go ahead, Coach.
2: Don,
0: going to change
1: topics here for a second. Um, Go ahead. Did you have something else? No, just continuing to, I guess, beat the dead horse of, like, it's the interns who come in and they don't understand. It's like, no, what, what we're looking for is, like, you know, everyone can read a book. Like, you can get that along the way. But who's showing up before I am to have the room set up without being asked. Yeah, And those mm-hmm. are the things that I think always stand out and actually contribute to the value of the team more so than, you know, try asking a question you may know the answer to because you read a book. So. Yeah, I
0: mean, I Mike, to kind of reiterate both you and Zach, what you're saying, I remember one of our head coaches, um, this is a little bit of a parallel, a little off to the side, but he was talking about the difference between you know recruits that come in and, and become athletes here at Texas that you want to bring on your team that do a great job and are much easier to manage and build a better culture for the team. He said this. He says he's narrowed it down to one thing. Like I'm looking for kids or athletes that when they come here they want to give back more than we than they're taking from Texas. And I th- and I say that point to with interns. Uh, you get we get I've seen people even recently. They want to come and intern with us, but they're coming wanting to take from us. They're not wanting to come give. They're wanting to learn what you're doing or Coach Anna Craig or Clint or Mel or Joe or whoever, or Zach, what they're doing. They're wanting to take from us, but they don't come with that mentality. Of what you just say, like, hey, I'm coming just to give. And if I get something in return, that's cool. But I want to give more than I'm taking. I think that's something that uh, it's hard to find with, with young coaches.
2: Yeah, you got to figure out if you're young. I was talking to Coach an intern the other day she's at UConn and she was like well I feel like I'm there's nothing I can do like I'm just an intern I don't know anything and it's like well where do you create value right and so my value in the beginning was cleaning and then as I got better at that it was like well I'm really good at relationships so I can pick up on when a kid comes through the door and they're not acting like they usually do I can tell whatever coach I'm working for like hey I talked to this athlete they seem a little off I'm just letting you know um different things like that so it's like where do you add value and that works with along the whole spectrum whether you're an intern or a director like where do you add value to the department or the university is different than an intern does but it's values value yeah i mean new hires
1: i think that's the same lesson is you come into a place that you haven't been you're not quite sure you know how things operate there it's i think a big piece of success and when you anytime you take a new job is observing, listening, and finding what are those spots that I can add value? Mm-hmm. Like knowing myself and knowing what this place is maybe, you know, where they need help or where they're lacking, where can I insert myself to actually help, you know, the overall cause?
0: That's That's a struggle, yeah, for, for definitely people, for sure. So, good stuff. A uh, little change
1: of topic for yeah, you, for sure.
0: Coach. So look at your the span of your career. How's your philosophy changed? Is, you, is it changed at all? Is it uh, with how you just... Prescribe, you know, layout
2: programs. Yeah, I think it's changed a lot as far as, I mean, the bare bones are still there, like ground-based, multi-joint movements, like hardworking. I think the hard work stuff doesn't replace anything. Um, I think I've been lucky to be exposed to different technologies, um, whether it's force plate, velocity-based stuff, um, workload management that kind of helps me rethink. And then honestly, getting older myself, Um, I'm not able to get away with the same stuff I could at 18 training. Mm -hmm. So now I'm an old 31-year-old that, um, you know, things aren't... When you're younger, it's like my warm-up is put the bar on my back and roll. Now it's like, all right, if I do that, I'm going to be in trouble (laughs) for a couple days. Um, But now I kind of feel like (laughs) some of my athletes, you know, they come in and they're hurting and hollering. And it's like, okay, well, your knees hurt when you do that. My knees hurt when I do this. What are different ways we can reverse engineer it? So I think when I was a younger coach, it was more like we're going to get in, get after it, Um, like, let's put some weight on the bar and train. And now it's like, we're going to do that same stuff, but we're also going to throw in some more recovery stuff, more mobility stuff, um, things to help prep um, the big nuts and bolts that we're trying to do before. Um, So I think, like with anything, it's reps. The more athletes I see and work with, I was lucky to work with track and field, I think everyone should try to work with track and field just because you're going to work with athletes who are you know tall short big tiny um, skinny good athletes bad athletes um, and that's just a lot of different variety and at the end of the day their sport and you know it's timed or measured and you can see did, if the weight room numbers went up did their sprint time go down or up and why
0: mm-hmm. um, and on top of what you just said this. To- And uh, Mike, you know this. You've worked with track and field, those different body types and backgrounds, but also the different philosophies, good and bad, with track track and field coaches. I mean, again, there are some really sharp track coaches, but there's some out there that sometimes they just don't know that they don't know. And you know what? I've always—this is just my kind of thought, and and Mike, you may have a little different look on it, but— It's not always fun when you work with a coach that maybe doesn't know what they're doing, but you know what? That makes you a better coach because you got to learn how to manage and educate and sell your program to maybe somebody who doesn't believe in what you're doing or doesn't understand what you're doing, and that takes a different uh, leadership style and and trait to do that, so it's good for you. Mm It doesn't always feel good, but it is good for you.
1: For sure. Um, And then, like, we've been talking about all these coaches and experiences um, that you've had, so you've collaborated with a ton of sport coaches seemingly a bunch of staff from sport med, sport scientists, et cetera. Um, What are some characteristics of those high performance teams that you've worked with, whether it be, you know, helping with men's basketball at Kansas, um, but also, yeah, Yeah. I also want to play the flip side to that and drawing from your experiences, you know, what are also the characteristics of underperforming performance teams? So high performance teams, what do those look like? Underperforming teams. And then, you know, once you kick it off, I'd also love to hear from Coach Mabe because you've worked with plenty of people as well.
2: I think the biggest thing you'll see with especially head coaches that are super successful is they know themselves as a person and as a coach. Like they're not trying to be anybody else or worried about anybody else. They know who they are as an actual person. So they know like if they're a, what personality type they are. If they're, yeah, they're self-aware. Know, outgoing, introvert, whatever. They're very self-aware. And I think with that allows you to be super consistent. And so you're consistent apart across all parts of your life like you're emotionally consistent you're consistent the message you give at practice you're consistent with the message after practice you're consistent off the court and I think your athletes are going to feed off whatever you are so if you're very unpredictable and all over the place your athletes are going to be unpredictable and all over the place Um, and then just a good person I know that's so basic but it's a coach-athlete relationship but they're not less than you because they're an athlete you're not better than them because you're a coach and the head coach isn't better than you because he's the head coach. It's like you treat everybody equal. And I've enjoyed working for bosses like that better than just yeah. somebody yelling at me.
1: Yeah, no, time. that's so true. I feel like at every level is just treating people like people. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe younger coaches to to generalize get caught up in that and like they may want to work with Kansas hoops, because that's where they're at for their first internship. But in reality, it's like, you're going to get just as much experience, potentially more working with Kansas women's golf, Yeah. you know? Um, But yeah, it's kind of, if you're chasing those names or those experiences, I think you're going to learn a lesson pretty quickly. I think a lot
2: of these, especially when I was younger, like I didn't really know who I was as a coach. Like I would see, work with a bunch of these different coaches like, well, I like that about her, that about him but I don't know if I can do those things. And then I remember sitting down, it was in Coach Hootie's office, so we went over, like, what am I good at? What am I bad at? What are my good personality traits? What are my not as positive ones? And, you know, what things does she see that I'm good at and what things does she see that I need to work on? And I think that brings it to the forefront of, like, hey, I'm a big personality guy. I like interacting with everybody. That's my strength, so use it. Don't go to a place that wants their strength coach just to be like a drill sergeant or whatever. If like if they want that, uh, I can't give them that and be right. true to myself. Right. So I can give you that for a couple of weeks, and then I'm going to look in the mirror and be like, you're a fake. And they're going
1: to see right through it. Yeah. yeah
2: and it's like, I'm the way who I am, and this is how I'm going to present myself, and I think athletes and everyone else picks up on authenticity more than anything, like, if you're a fake tough guy and they see it, like, you're done. Um, (laughs) It's over. Exactly, Mm -hmm. but I think, like, really sitting down and knowing who you are, and I think after you graduate, you're really going to find out who you are, because you're going to move somewhere where you don't know anybody, you're going to make no money, Um, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to be in a new situation, and that's You know, you never grow unless you stress yourself. It's no different than exercise. You got to stress the system to adapt. Yeah. It's no different um, in your personal life. You have to stress yourself to grow. Um, So I think if you put yourself in these uncomfortable situations, you're going to be a better coach and better person at the end of the day.
1: Coach, what about you? Characteristics of high-performance teams that you've been on, but also teams... I mean, over your course of your career, you've probably seen some underperforming teams.
0: Yeah, no, I was listening to. I thought that was really, really uh, good, Zach. I think you you kind of triggered a thought in me when I was listening to you. But so I, this is for for me over the years, and I think both you guys can definitely empathize what I'm about to say. That the I feel like the cornerstone of any successful team, if you're a performance coach or strength and conditioning, is you've got to have your head coach buy into you as a as a as an individual within the system you want to run with that team. Um, I know I've and, and I've been coaching now, it's my 27th year. And the years that I've had the most fun, probably had the most success with a team is when the sport coach bought in to what we're doing in the weight room. Because if they don't, here's the deal, right? If they don't buy into the weight room, they're not going to be there checking on the kids. The kids are going to pick up on it. They're not going to be invested. They're not going to give the effort. You're going to be pulling teeth, right? And so I feel like the backbone of any kind of team like that, you've got to have the full support and commitment of the head coach behind what you're doing. Uh, doesn't mean you can't be successful. It just it makes it a little harder for sure. So I think that's one. I think secondly, what I've seen over the years is uh, whether it was football or with golf or tennis, volleyball, I feel like you've got to have a team that kind of uh, – it's a, it's a player-run team or player-led team. And I don't mean that the team is is like running the show, but the team is setting the the tone and the example of the work ethic, their attitude, their efforts. If something's not going right, your captains or your older kids are addressing those issues and fixing that within the team. So the coach isn't always trying to prop everything up and keep it going. I remember when I was with football here in Texas and it was two thousand and eight and we had you know we had a morning workout, you know at dark thirty here one time and one of the the older defensive backs was like kind of like slacking off and was skipping stuff and we caught him and called him out on it and we were headed down to the field and uh, we're going to do a little extra reminders as we should say to not do that again but you know what one of the senior defensive players stood up and kind of checked him and addressed it and fixed it and he addressed it with the whole team. wasn't us doing it. He was so upset and so Uh, Enraged that somebody was missing reps and not committed to being the best team we could be, that from I'm telling you from that point on, for the rest and through the summer and through the fall, we had no more issues. And again, that guy again he did it in in a way that I don't know that I would prescribe the way. I can't get into the details (laughs) of it, but I don't know if I prescribe the way that he did it. But it was you know what it was effective for that time and season for that team, and the person, the leader that was doing that, he had the credibility. Yeah, he knows it, his audience, and he, he stood up, and nobody nobody was going to challenge. He's being alpha, so to speak, but we never had another problem. And you know what? He that did two things: it got rid of the cancer, but it also solidified him as a leader for the team. Mm-hmm. That got everybody in line, so that really set us in motion to have a successful team. So I think those two things are huge.
1: I love hearing that story because I've heard you say that a couple times. The unfiltered version. Yeah, I did. Too. I gave you a little bit yeah. of a, the
0: G-rated version there, but um,
1: I'd like to go back to the first point you made, right? And not to take away from Zach, I'd like to hear from him if he can add to it too. You talked about head coach buy-in right. and buying into the program, and you. I think that is such a, such a maybe problem or obstacle a lot of coaches deal with, you know, around the country and mm-hmm. at every single level. So I'd like to peel back one more layer. Okay. And you said you know, establishing buy-in from those coaches, well, what are some strategies to do that? And then if Zach, you can reflect on your experiences to add to that too.
0: I'll tell you, I want to start off with, I'll be a little vulnerable here, but I would start off with the biggest mistake I've made in my career. And I encourage anybody listening is just, that you can make in doing that is just taking it personal. If a coach doesn't like you, they don't want to do the lift you want to do or the run you want to do or whatever, you can fill in the blank. You just, I took it personal before, you know, and it's not about me. It's about that coach and the team. and just So I think you got to, you know, whether the old cliche saying put your ego aside and kind of humble yourself and just kind of get back to like basic, like what can I do to connect with this coach? It may be grab a coffee, go grab a, a beer. It may be showing up at practice and not. I remember it's a true story. I don't know if I've told you this when I was at Colorado. Uh, Seal Berry, who's retired now, was the women's basketball coach. And I got assigned to work. She hated the weight room. She didn't believe in what we did in the weight room. She didn't like, she didn't want to talk to my boss about it. So I got assigned the wonderful task of getting up at 5: 30 in the morning, five in the morning, going to the track where they did track workouts for basketball, which are not great, right? And all I had to do was I set, on, I set out in the dark because they didn't have lights back then in this like random track out in the middle of nowhere in Boulder, Colorado, and would cheer them on. I was a cheerleader. And I was like, "Why am I here?" And what happened, six to eight weeks go by? And what was happening was I was building rapport with the kids. They started liking me being there because I brought a little energy and just did the best I could. Seal Barry walks up to me after about eight weeks in the weight room and she looks up to me. and She goes, you got them next week. I want to see what you can do with them. And I was like, "What?" I was a 24 or 25 year old coach. I was like, what just happened? I about freaked out and like passed out. And then from that point on. I worked with them, and I didn't know what I was doing, dude. I really didn't. I was a clueless, young coach. After I got done, this right before I came to Texas, she was wanting to hire me as a full-time coach just for women's basketball. So there are some things you can do on your end that you can kind of, I say, move the needle to win coaches over. And it may take longer than others. I don't have the rule book on that. Some are very, very difficult, and I'm aware of that. And I've definitely dealt with that. And some uh, will move a little quicker. So, But I think there's some things you can do to to Massage that a little bit and help them yeah. along,
1: yeah. And what I hear from that is, is, I think again, this is this comes back to I'm big on like things they don't teach you in college or even sometimes internships. Is like you can't just show up to someone else's program, right? It's not our program, right? Someone else's program and just expect them to trust you when they don't even know you, right? Like that's that's it's unrealistic to walk up to a stranger and be like hey listen to me this is what we're going to do and then to just automatically listen to you it's Mm -hmm. kind of the same thing it's like you have to earn that trust and whether that's being a cheerleader or explaining week to week hey this is what we're doing why um just some way you have to connect because i just know a ton of coaches deal with that um with that being an obstacle of i can't connect with my head coach they don't trust me there's this um i guess they silo each other and rather Mm -hmm. than combat it by kind of like you're saying like finding where you can fill and, in, fill that void. And I'll well, let Zach talk, but to give our uh, head coaches
0: a little bit of benefit of the doubt, like they've been burned, some of them. Yeah. And so you don't realize that they're like the, the cat that touched the hot stove. Right. I know my, my head coach here at Texas, one of them I worked with, uh, with, with tennis years ago, he had one of his ke- stud kids when he was at KU, he got hurt in the weight room. And so he didn't like some of the things I did with him. And I didn't understand that at first as a young coach. But as I got to know Coach and understood, kind of, he told me more of the story. Now I understood why he was so jaded on why we. And so I. it took a while. I had to kind of back the train up a little bit, do some things I didn't really want to do at first, and slowly kind of educate him and win his trust over to be able to do more things I wanted to do. So, was that
2: you, Jack? Yeah. You, yeah, what yeah, I you think got? my biggest, um, kind of similar with yours, my first job at Southern Mess. I just, I'm 23. I get done with my time at Kansas. And I was lucky enough at Kansas where I was brought up under these really good coaches that all the sport coaches like. So if Hootie or Luke or Joe was like, hey, Zach's going to take over softball today, they're like, well, if he's approved by you, like, We'll love it. We'll love to have them. So I was used to every coach being like, we love what you do. You're great. You're so smart. You're so good. And I get to Southern Miss and the men's basketball coach, he brought me there. So he's like, do whatever you need to do. I support you for sure. And then the women's basketball coach, she never worked with me before. She'd used, She's used to the strength coaches there. two years, leaves, two years, leaves. And so when I show up, I'm young and she's like, I've been coaching longer than you've been alive. She's like, every year in August, you run two miles, and that's our fitness test. And I came in, and I was like, I'm going to get her not to run the two miles. So I come in with my little fact sheets of <laughs> how that's not applicable to basketball, and here's what we're going to do instead. And I was at Kansas, and we won this many Big 12 championships, and I'm so smart. Look at me. And she was like, that's cool, but we're running the two miles. <laughs> yeah, And I remember shot I, down. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to regroup, come back, and present it again. She's Load like, the bullets. Yeah, she's like, you don't understand. I've been doing this for 40 years. I'm not, not going to do it this year. So, we're going to run the two miles. And I was so mad. I took it like as an ego thing. Like, yeah, we why would do, you right? listen to me? Like, I'm so I'm so smart in this area. Like, yeah, I you have stick degree, to coaching basketball. Yeah. I have a degree in this. I've been interning for six years. Like, I'm so smart. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember we ran the two miles, and the whole time I was like super negative about it. And I asked one of the assistants, I was like, what's the deal? Why does she want to do that? And, and he's like, you understand it's not for two mile times. It's what kid's going to actually finish this race that has nothing to do with basketball between their ears. Like it's a mental thing to, can you run exactly. for 15 yeah. to 16 minutes? I was like, wow, smart guy. You didn't even think of that. <laughs> right. And it's not like we were training them to be really good at that. Cause I was like, I want everyone to be knocked this out of the water or knock it out of the park. And, um, yeah, once I heard that, I was like, "Wow, you didn't even think about other stuff." Yeah. And to what you said, like, she has no reason to trust me. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm, and she's trusting me with her whole team of developing them. Um, so after that, I was like, "Okay, well, maybe I can pick and choose different things." And then to go along with it, what you're saying, like, to win these head coaches over, they don't really know what we do. They have an idea of what we do, but we work with the athletes the most. So if I can win over the athletes, and they talk to the athletes all the time, the athletes are like, I enjoy working with Zach, I feel like I'm getting better, this feels better, Um, then you're gonna win over the coach.
0: Yeah, and I think, to your point, coaches, some sport coaches put a lot more value on mental toughness than they do performance. Mm -hmm. And so that's just the culture of their team, Way they run, that's the way Seal was. Yeah, And Seal did not speak to me until that day, and I was so intimidated, like I was so scared. This little tiny lady, like when she walked up to me and said that, I was like, oh, my gosh, she just spoke to me and I have her team. I was so, you know, afraid of failure. And but but the the cool thing about it, I'd already won because I'd won the kids over. So yeah. I'd won her heart. And so I think there's a there's a piece to it there. You got to always keep in mind. It's not about what we do. Uh, it's about how we do it and how it impacts the hearts, minds and emotions of these kids. Because mm-hmm. coaches like their paycheck. Oh, yeah. And if you can win them over, that
1: influences them, too. So you got to be practical with it. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, i'm gonna i think this next question personally is a little fun because it is personal for you zach oh perfect uh, i love you, it you posted three weeks ago Ooh. yeah we're getting I'm getting technical on this so a food you poster post a training post this is a training post <laughs> okay, okay. F- food post is between us <laughs> talk some food no <laughs> uh but you posted a few weeks back a video of a squ- uh, clean a squat in a row mm-hmm. and you captioned it basketball specific i training. Love it. i saw yeah. it it was it was genius So, yeah, so what I'm getting at is I have a couple questions here to unpack. Um, Can you expand on your thoughts to specificity? You know, whether it's going to be in basketball or another sport, training it, um, does it warrant consideration in the weight room? And also, are there prerequisites to specificity uh, in the setting of the weight room? Yeah, I think um, my big shot with that is people overcomplicate
2: everything. I'm kind of poking fun of, I get, you know, a couple emails a day from college coach, high school coach, a dad of some kid who's going to be really good or any one of these basketball people. And they're like, can you send me a basketball specific workout? And I'm like, well, what's bad? Like, what do you mean? You know? And so I think, and I get it like on Twitter, Instagram, people like to show things that I think are so far off base because it's new and novel. They're reinventing the wheel for stuff. But I think people don't take enough time to really w- work and hammer on the basics. So, like, you don't need a lot of variety. Um, if you do everything, the basic stuff we know that works—it's backed by science—that um, elicits the greatest response. You don't need all the fluff stuff if you can master those basics. Right. And I know that like, gets over and over. People talk about it, but I very rarely see people doing it. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. It's hard. It's like. You need to progressively overload those movements that we know that work over time. And at the end of the four years, you're going to be a way better athlete than you were before. And you're going to be robust um, and not injured.
1: Right. Right. And I I think something I thought of literally when I saw that video is I had recently looked through our own Instagram posts on Texas Athletic Performance. And it was like 80% of our pictures uh, where we showcase kids lifting is like using hex bar deadlift. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show it's like amongst 15 sports, just about all of us, if not all of us, hex bar deadlift. For sure, And so yeah. it kind of comes back to what you're saying. is, I try is to, like, to
2: think like these kids have so much else going on in their head. In my area, like some really like lifting weights and some it's like, I got to get through this 30 minutes, this hour of weightlifting session. And then I got to worry about the 100 plays I need to know. I got to watch film with coach. I got a biology test tomorrow. And... If they come in and, and we're doing the same exercises all the time, they're like, I know how to squat. We did this yesterday, just a different variation. Um, I know how to deadlift. We did this the other day, just a different variation. It's not overcomplicating it, so they have to come in and be like, wait, is this the one where I grab this implement and tie it here and step with this leg and come here? Like, Let's not overcomplicate things. Like, Let's move the big boulders. I think too people, too many people are worried about the 2% and forgetting about the 98% of what makes you bigger, faster, and stronger. Right,
1: right. But like kind of what you were saying at the beginning is it's on social media, we get to see the 2%, 98% of the time. Mm-hmm. So that's what we, you know, a lot of coaches and even myself sometimes, I'm like, dang, is that is that really the direction we're going? Like, like should I be thinking more outside the box than I already am? And I think we just miss that point sometimes. Yeah, right? I just
2: want to try to get it out there more so coaches that don't have the advantage of our background can see, and if they're the head you know, varsity coach, but they don't have a strength coach and all they see is this stuff that I, I wouldn't agree with. Yeah. Um And they look at, you know, clean squat, bench, pull-ups as a football workout. I'm like, no, it's not. It's basketball. It's good training. Right. Um, So I kind of want to put more stuff out there so they say like, okay, like this should be the bulk of my training, not this other...
1: Tying a band to your wrist.
2: Exactly. And your... Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Which like I think there's a time and a place for that kind of sure. training, but it shouldn't be your majority and i don't want people thinking like that's the majority that my high school freshman b team needs to do right
1: right so, i think that's really valid
0: yeah i think you know that, that's a great question mike um i just had this conversation with one of my athletes yesterday in the weight room and this athlete's been away training at a different place um brings back he's like man we did all this band stuff blah 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 so I was like well what's the name of the the person like show me the account, looked it up, and ends up being like basically you, the sport is tennis. And they're just doing a bunch of motions, banded up instead of like it's a racket. Yeah, they're doing swings with these bands, which again I get that, but it's trying to be more specific. It's more like they're thinking it's more specific to tennis, but the key element in all of our conversations here is the athlete believes mm-hmm. in the whatever it is you're doing. And
2: that's what I think. Me like I wanted to be a teacher. Um, but then I was like, teachers don't make any money. And then I was like, I'll be a strength coach. And then I realized they don't make any money either. Um, but I, I felt like the best way to go about it, um, is to educate these kids on like, Hey, I know we saw like, you know, they'll put a video of what LeBron's doing. And I'll be like, here's what he's trying to accomplish with this. Here's where he's at in his career. And this is why it makes sense for him. And here's what we're trying to do. And here's why it makes sense for us. And then I think if you, these kids are smart, they go to the University of Texas. Like if they go to these big schools, There's a smart. level of competence. Yeah. They've, yeah. And you can draw it out for them and be like, this is why I know you hate hand clean, but this is why we're hand cleaning. And like, I tell all our post players, the reason why we snatch is I'll be like, post up on somebody. And it's the same position that they catch a snatch. Is that why we do snatch? No. But if they can put it together, be like, oh, that's exactly yeah, why we snatch," I'm going to try harder because that's exactly for my position
1: it's funny i've taken that same approach as far as using it's like maybe a little bit different the same concept but a different mm. approach is like you know oh, i think i think i mean tom brady does the tb12 though and um, my approach is like you know what i want you to go do the tb12 do as long as you want right you can come back when uh, you let me know you reach that level yeah. cuz that's not what makes tom brady tom <laughs> brady and to try to add a little bit more content to it is like when you take like what you're referencing, coach, with tennis and bands and repli- trying to replicate the same motor patterns, it's like if you get too close to trying to replicate motor patterns, mm-hmm. and you do it with an athlete, especially who's not ready enough in the wrong stimulus, whether it be a band, whether it be chains, whether it be some type of, you know, implement where it's going to mess with your balance, is like you can actually screw up their neuromuscular system yeah, in terms of the coordination of it, and biomechanics, right. Yeah. right? The coordination of that that they've been working on. In practice when they're practicing post drills and now you've tried to do some fancy exercise you might have saw um, that you think is replicating it like when when not all those stimuluses or the variables are the exact same it's like you're actually getting a different motor response and so that's where you have to be really careful when you are if you are trying to approach that level of specificity in the weight room and like Zach what you're saying is like we don't need to do that 98% of what we do is actually this basic reason.
0: I've got a small caveat to yeah. this little, this is a great topic. We could go on the whole show on this. But, so I do think there's a little bit, um, my experience just with my tennis guys, you've got to build, like you're saying, Zach, I feel like you've got to build this foundation of strength and movement in a base. I do believe, like a Tom Brady, once you get older in your career, you've been training for, you've got so much volume and reps and and kind of a track record behind you of training, you can do more things that maybe it's not as hard on your body because you always got that to fall back on, but these younger kids they don't need they don't need a bunch of this fru-fru looking stuff on Instagram like that's not going to make them more explosive, more durable, uh, help them recover better, doing a bunch of crazy stuff like that. But again, so what I my point is like I have one kid uh, from Japan who got him here was doing some Olympic lifts and stuff, ended up having a Uh, His first year have a back problem went back to Japan. They evaluated him told him he didn't need to ever lift again So I had to deal with that that problem (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of think a little differently on how I could get him to buy back into lifting and training with me So I had to kind of back it up and kind of do some different movements That were a little more functional, you know that buzzword looking a little more functional But I kind of got him, you know, by the time he was a senior got him back healthy again Put on lean mass and bought back into training. So sometimes in this kind of like coach athlete process today, and you guys know this, you kind of got to get a little bit of feedback from those athletes and kind of meet them in I think the that's middle. Your a biggest bit.
2: thing, and that's how you create buy-in. Like, right? A lot of our freshmen, like, I don't give them a lot of choice. It's like this is what we're doing, and stick within that. Um, but at my upperclassmen, it's we've built a enough trust where you know our point guard can come up and be like, "Hey, we've been going like crazy at practice. Like, my knees are bothering me." I was like, okay we probably don't need to back squat you today right what do you feel like doing what exercise do we do that really helps you a lot and she's like oh single leg rdl helps me a lot well let's hammer that today instead of you know back squat on the sheet and they know that i'm willing to make these changes um so they're more open the dialogue's better and i trust them that they're not just coming in and being like oh this is sore i can't do anything trying to today. get out yeah yeah exactly and it's
1: not so much about the weight room and what's on the sheet, it's about what's going to make me feel good so I can play yeah. basketball. At the
2: end of the day, like, I care. Like, I know these big boulders, they need to move. Um And I'll give them some options of, you know, hey, if this doesn't make you feel good, or, like, you can watch a kid and see if they're comfortable doing it or not. And if it doesn't make you feel good, what else can we do to accomplish that same goal? And the farther they get, like you were saying, like, what do they need, what do they not? But most freshmen mm-hmm. um need to clean
1: squat and row <laughs> <laughs> no i love that you did that it's like you're saying you sometimes you got to be flexible with with yeah. the plan like you're not going to go on a road trip road shut down because the bridge broke you're not just going to be stubborn and go right off the cliff or that's exactly mm-hmm. what's going to happen to you it's like you gotta be flexible and find it's detours true. when it happens good stuff a little change of topic
0: uh let's ju- this is one of my favorite ones this is another kind of myth buster mm-hmm. kind of topic here but with all your years, you've worked with a lot of different female athletes. Uh, what have you seen, Coach Zilner, that makes the biggest difference in helping them become better athletes? Um, do you have any key performance indicators you look at, maybe different sports to you consider as you do that? Anything? So what makes them better, and then kind of what are some – give us some specifics.
2: Yeah, I think um, female athletes – I'm not even going to say, like, female versus male or anything like that. I think freshman basketball players – Fe- male or female, um, don't really like the weight room, and That's I, a good point. Yeah. And I think for them, the biggest piece is their mentality, like between their ears, like how hard they actually need to go to play D one basketball. Um, in high school, they could take off wraps just because they're head and shoulders above everybody in their state. At least the kids that we get to come to uh, Texas, and so. They've never really had to go hard and high intent every single rep, every single day on every single thing they're doing. So they always think that I'm giving them a hard time, that even during the warm-up I'll make them redo stuff or this needs to be faster or whatever. Um, And that high demand of it's not perfect, redo it, it's not perfect, redo it. Um, That's their biggest shock of what they're getting. Like It's getting coached. Like We call it getting coached, but they take it as being personal. And I think it comes back to they're the best player in the state, and so their high school coach probably isn't going to coach them hard because they need them for that team. Their skills trainer is going to tell them they're great because they want that check, and their parents are going to think they're great because like everyone else is telling them they're great. So these kids are always been told you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great. Basketball is what you're really good at. So they get in the weight room where these guys aren't designed to lift weights. Like they got long limbs, short torsos, mm-hmm. like horrible, stiff lifting. ankles, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so they come in with me and they can't even do body bodyweight squat or the running mechanics like we want to do or how to throw a med ball or any of this stuff. And so they get frustrated. And so it's like, how can you persevere um, through this area that you don't want to do or you aren't very good at? And I think it kind of sets the tone of everything else because they're going to get to coach eventually and not know how to play defense the way he wants to play it or how to run the plays that we need to play it. So can you handle handle that mental load, um, I guess, the best?
1: It's good. Um, so in terms of, so you're kind of getting at, again, the mental load piece, mm-hmm. um, are there any key performance indicators, KPIs to these kids, um, in basketball that, that you've identified, um, not necessarily when they come in, but as they come in and they progress over a mm-hmm. few years, you've said like maybe mental resilience might be one, but is there anything else that's like, Hey, yeah. the ones that succeed, they have this KPI, yeah, we found, this characteristic. Um,
2: if you want like nuts and bolts and like how much you need to squat or clean or that kind of stuff. That's what a lot of people want to know. And Dr. Kramer, um, for those that don't know him is part of pretty much every strength conditioning study around, um, him and doc fry, but he was saying we had him on the phone the other week and basically people that aren't cleaning at least their body weight and that's women and aren't squatting between 1.5 and 1.8 of their body weight. Um, Still need to work on strength to like, yeah. get to those numbers.
0: I like it. That's that's specific. Yeah. Yeah,
2: which is a lot. And I think cleaning the body weight, or let's like body weight or body weight in a quarter, um, has been our biggest thing that we've seen. When players can do that, they can do a, pretty much everything really well. This um, is for
1: the clean. Yeah, yeah, for the
2: clean. Just mentally, like you see the weight on the bar, you do it. That checks a the box. Then physically, if as a woman, if you can clean your body weight, you're pretty strong relative yeah. for your body, which a lot of good things happen. Um, squat, 1. 1.5, 1. 1.8. I don't take as much value in that just because anthropometrics and whatnot, some of these kids just aren't built to for squat sure. a lot. Especially um, in that sport. Yeah, and so yeah. we'll do deadlift instead or um, single leg stuff, just depending on what fits them the best. So I'm not going to try to shove a square peg in yeah. a round hole if it's not going to work um one one thing cleans oh. locks or floor let's get a little so i like get somebody it the, fired up today <laughs> yeah it's not the correct term which one? Uh, i'm a big hang power clean yeah so start from too. the hang catching the power position for yeah. you is that what you use for like
1: the one to 1.5 body weight is the hang power cleaner
2: uh yeah hang power clean um we've gone off the floor it's just tough these so hard so tall yeah. and with, with uh, tall girls it's and just you're just getting tough. out you're
1: not the purest, exactly mean, you need, right it's the questions we still receive to this day on our social media and yeah, that's emails that's not a full is, clean that's
2: a power it's like who cares she just cleaned her body weight well yeah so, and
1: squat depth this is the one we get quite a bit well that,
2: that's a big thing for us too like I used that's the one thing we talked about philosophy change when I was younger everyone was like butt to the ground squat that makes you a good strength coach if you can make everyone do that And so that's I would, the badge of honor well I would waste all this time trying to get my athletes to get all the way down. And then at the end of the year, I remember one year I looked and I was like, we did all these regressions and now we're finally at the point where he or she can front squat the bar. And it's like, what did I do? Yeah, like, well, Would you spend that time Yeah, there? and so what I've done now is I, instead of starting everyone with a huge regression, I start them with the bar. And what I've realized is most of my athletes, I probably have like one or two who are not as good at that, that they need to regress. And everyone else we're good to go, mm-hmm. like ready to roll. And it's like, yeah. well, wow, before I would waste six weeks doing a goblet squat progression that they didn't need to do. Right. Um, and so, yeah, now I'm not as picky with the depth. And if you look at, I think you guys had a post on it, of like what quality are you trying to exude from this exercise? And it's like, well, if I'm trying to work, you know, specific joint angles in a higher range of uh motion might be better if I'm trying to create stiffness for a more reactive athlete. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
2: More load, less range of motion is going to make them more reactive. If I want to make them more compliant, I'm going to do more of a full range of motion type squat. So
1: yeah, and the best the best picture from that post was actually, we had, I don't know which post it was. I think it was Charlie. Yeah, Charlie, yeah. right? And Charlie, for listeners, yeah, number one, number draft one overall draft pick, she's doing a back squat from the pins at like, gosh, maybe it's 120 degrees at her yeah. knees. Yeah. And so it's just funny because, again, I said the purist earlier. Is you're telling me well, that the number one women's yeah.
2: basketball, like... It's not good enough for her. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, if we would have squatted all the way down, she would have been uh, higher than number one right. pick, probably. And then
1: this ties back into specificity. Is like, you know, she's not a power lifter no. or she's not a weight lifter. She's a basketball And player. she's
2: 6'5". Her legs, I'm 5'10". Her legs next to me are almost up to my shoulders. Like right. She And her torso is shorter than mine. And so this is the worst person you could have Squat a ton of weight because right. her femurs are so long. That's right. And so we found with her, pin squats were the best. And from our force plate data, that. her reactivity and stiffness. She became a better athlete by not squatting full range of motion.
1: It's like if you just look, if you just look at where the joints are with some of these longer athletes. Mm-hmm. You have them in volleyball. Um, I have a few in rowing, which it's a little bit different because you need them to get in those deep angles. But if you just look at it, it's like all right. If you want a Charlie to squat with thighs parallel to the ground. Well, then her torso flexion, you know, her torso is going to be pinned that? right against her femur and she's going to be at 30 degrees torso flexion, which yeah, and that's most people would identify bulging as bulging like, disc, yeah. what that equals. Right. But I we've kind of found
2: um, those pin squats because i when I first saw pin squats, I remember we were doing it at Kansas with Hootie and I'm like, she's lost her mind. Like, what are we doing? Like, we need to be (laughs) squatting all the way down. I've read these articles that if your hamstrings not covering your calf, like you're not doing a squat. And we started one of our bigs, um, pin squats. And then every week she would lower the pins and eventually he could squat parallel. And I was like, wow, usually everyone's like from the ground up, but we were taking the pins down, but he was still keeping the same load. So he had the same stimulus. Instead of doing, you know, a thirty-pound goblet squat, which right. what's that really doing? Right. Um, and trying to work yourself up to the bar, which is forty-five pounds, it's like, well, what are we really doing? Like this mm. guy's a power five athlete, and we're having and a squat the guy can the bar. jump out the gym. And- yeah, exactly. And so I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought it was interesting just the way you kind of can reverse engineer depending on what quality you want that athlete to have.
1: Yeah, and sticking on the topic of kind of, I guess, these hot topics, I suppose, in strength and conditioning is I'm not going to ask you either or, because I think all of us here, and hopefully most people listening know unanimously that it's not either bilateral training or unilateral, right? Mm-hmm. That's That's been a hot topic, which just seems foolish and a waste of time to discuss. But I would like to know, um, can you share when and why you decide to choose a bilateral exercise, back squat, deadlift, whatever, or a unilateral exercise, whether it's a split squat, reverse lunge, what times of year or what situations with certain athletes and why do you you choose those?
2: I think, like what you said, you can use them all the time. It just depends on what you want. And so, like, for a bilateral squat, I mean, to me, I think if you want to build overall strength and power, like, that would be the one exercise i would choose over split squat um but within that you know if i want to create stiffness i could do that partial range of motion with that or if i want to create compliance i could do that full range of motion so same squat getting different attributes so stiffness versus um, more compliance split squat um i like it for my uh stiffer athletes just because it it takes longer to do so like you can't really pump those out like you would squat and so that longer time under tension and everything is going to um, help with their mobility and yeah. stuff. So guys who are super stiff, um, a lot of our men's players are like women's players that are super twitchy. Um, and you know these guys, they bend their knees a quarter inch and touch yeah. the top of the backboard. Right. Um, we want to kind of slow them down in the weight room. And so the way to do that is overhead split squat. So if I have a bar over my head and I'm split squatting, I need to go slower to come all the way down, touch my knee, and come up. So they like doing stuff super fast, so this is a way to slow them down. My athletes that are super slow, we need to load them up. They need to be under load all the time, so bilateral might be a better option for them. Um, Yeah, yeah, and then we'll use them different times throughout the season just to help, like I was saying, being old and lifting. Um, If we have a big back squat day that day, I might warm up with some split squat stuff Mm -hmm. or single leg things. Um, before we do it um, or if I want in the summer if I want to get more volume we can start with you know a bilateral movement for strength and then load up a bunch of walking lunges at the end of the session so it's just different time of year different yeah. w- whatever you need yeah, whatever quality that athlete that, yeah. needs yeah
1: one thing you said like you're talking about an overhead split squat is mm-hmm. Dan Fichter's talked about it, is like you, you throw something overhead which is going to be unstable for a lot of people Right. they're gonna to have to try to stabilize that it forces the lower body to kind of course correct and have to slow down which yeah. is what you were getting at uh and stabilize because if it doesn't obviously you're going to tip over you have a heavy weight above your head so it's just a concept we that i've heard
2: some, uh the men's players last year the guys who were super twitchy and athletic they were horrible at balancing on one leg and it was like being slow Yeah, is what they don't want to do. They're 100 miles an hour on the court. And so it's like, how can we offset those reps on the court in the weight room? And it's like, if they can touch the top of the backboard, I don't think strength and power development is probably an issue. But to keep them healthy, we might need to work on more full range of motion, um, stuff to get them feeling better. If they feel better, like those guys are tight all the time and their knees and back hurt, ankles hurt. It's like, how can if I get them feeling better, they're probably going to perform better. So what different exercises could we do to slow them down to make them feel better? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And that's that spring concept of when you mm-hmm. have someone who, if you look at the muscle and tendon as a spring, the tendon spring is gigantic, right? These huge shocks, but then their muscle is just this tiny bicycle. Yeah. So that's where you might run into some tendon issues. And that's where, that's where you're kind of saying, slow it down and, mm-hmm. and try to build maybe upon the muscle so that there's somewhat um, of a compatible, I guess you could say ratio between muscle and tendon. Yeah. What about you, coach? What's your experience with, like, unilateral, bilateral exercises when you choose one versus the other? Because I've seen you do Mm -hmm. quite a bit of variations of both in the weight room with volleyball. Yeah, this is,
0: again, one of my favorite topics. I've I've probably, early in my career, I was more of a bilateral squat, 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 you know, and now as I've gotten older and, you know, working with different sports, especially my two teams right now are tennis and volleyball. With with volleyball, it's been interesting, you know, Working with our sports science uh, staff, Travis, and all those guys, they do a great job. They've really helped me kind of pinpoint when a, a certain athlete has had enough bilateral. Mm-hmm. Like they've reached a certain level of like rate of force development bilaterally that maybe they're lacking single leg. And so I've gotten a, even this summer where a couple of the, the girls, like, I'll do a lot more single leg work within variations, whether that's a, a rear foot elevated I love, the, again, kudos to you, Micah. I love the uh, safety bar uh, split squat with a lot of eccentric work in that. That's helped them a lot. So I think, for me, testing has helped with volleyball. On the backside of tennis, kind of where I pick for volleyball. But for tennis, I've almost gotten away completely from, and I, don't, I just don't put a bar on their backs. Yeah. Um, and, I think and my,
2: any of those, uh, sorry, go I ahead, think it yeah. was like rotational sports. Um, I had the same thing with golf at Illinois. That what's like some uh, what's a big load on your back good for creating stiffness, right. and what do you not want? Like you need thoracic stiffness to be a good back squatter, and what do you not want as a golfer? Like thoracic yeah. stiffness. I just felt when I went to the TPI course, they had us do all the. Rotational stuff, and I was so bad at it all, and I'm like, oh, this is why I suck
0: at golf. <laughs> but I, you know what, no, Zach, I felt, you know, early in my career, I felt bad because I'd see other, you know, tennis strength coaches, they got them squatting like 300, 400 pounds, yeah, and I'm like, what's wrong? I must be terrible as a strength coach, right? So I've just learned that putting the axial loading with the bar on their back is not good for their shoulders or their spine, lumbar spine. But we still got to squat, Mike. We still got to work that pattern because those guys are usually really stiff in the hips because they're on concrete. Mm -hmm. They don't ever get real low. Uh, So you need to work on their mobility. You need to work on just having some power and range of motion down in those low positions, but I can't load it. So trap bar, deadlifts have been great. Goblet squats, uh, single leg variations for tennis guys are crucial because they serve a lot whether right or left-handed. And so that fascial line from their hand all the way through their, their front and the back their hips get rotated, and so now a single leg uh, exercise for them will actually kind of manage that gap of those imbalances and keep them healthier. So, with those guys, I like to use a lot more single leg work, uh, oftentimes in volleyball. Again, there are some exceptions now with volleyball with testing, I may uh, do way more with, with one or two athletes than I do the other ones, depending on where they are in their development. So, it just depends on what it shows us.
1: Yeah, that's big. I just, I mean, at the end of the day, I wish. We could steer the conversation versus, you know, either or, which we all know is pretty foolish, to, well, when and why. Because I think the why piece, which has been kind of a common theme is Zach started out, it's like what it comes down to is why we're doing it, and not too many people seem to be transparent.
0: Well, to kind of circle back to your point, Zach, our freshmen come in, they haven't lifted much. They need a lot of bilateral work. They just don't have any power, strength, or on top of that, no lean muscle mass. There's not much down there for just, for just being durable you know, more resilient. So you got to build that up before you start kind of like, oh, let's do all this other stuff. So, yeah. Anyway.
1: No, that's awesome. Yeah. Zach, I think we're, are we close on time? Close on time. Yeah,
0: we got to land a plane here Zach, where
1: can people connect with you, find you if they want to have questions? Is it email? Is it social media?
2: Yeah, I'm not, Big with email, you can ask any one of these guys that email me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty good on social media. Uh, Instagram and Twitter are the same. It's ZS Zillner, and that's Z-I-L-L-N-E-R. Um, I usually put up, you know, different things we're doing training-wise. Um, I'm pretty good about uh, answering any questions or comments yeah. or DMs or anything like that.
1: That's awesome. Um, we already kind of covered, like, advice that you would give to younger coaches or even interns. We, we hit that pretty hard, but, uh, um, I guess what resources um, have you used or would you recommend to others?
2: I think the biggest resources are, um, people. Yeah. And I think the biggest stuff I learned wasn't on the floor itself. Like, of course I learned how you should command a room and coach and Whatever. But I think the most stuff I learned was behind closed doors when we'd be done with a session, listening to the two full time strength coaches talk about what went well, what didn't go well, how they dealt with this coach, how they dealt with that coach. I remember being an intern, I sat I had a chair in Luke Bradford's office and Joe Stobb's office. And I would sit there and after every session I'd listen to Luke talk about and he'd ask me what went well with that session, what went bad um, Joe, same thing with track and field. And I was lucky enough that they would bring me to their coaches meeting. So I could see like, this is how you talk mm-hmm. to a coach. This is how you don't talk to a coach. Like, um, this is how you talk to an administrator. How do I, what do I need to wear if I'm, you know, meeting with the AD or somebody super important? How do I need to act? Sure. Um, what's appropriate. And I think those skills were better than any book, um, could have yeah. taught me for sure.
0: I got one more fun question, yeah, and then we'll sure. land it. But favorite go-to food in Austin? You are a foodie, yeah. 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 If, you, if you don't follow Zach, you got to follow. I mean, he he makes me want to go get a meal. We don't have to go eat every. Yeah. This. Let's what, let's where, go. Your uh,
2: I'll give you a couple options.
0: You can't go one. I think
2: uh, barbecue. I like Terry Blacks or Valentinas, and Ooh, too. come on now. Yeah, and then uh, Burger Spot. Probably Jew Boy Burgers. I'm there with go, you. I haven't been yet. It's the real You gotta deal. go. It's basic. It's it's, it's it's real good ingredients done basic. It's
1: fantastic. Uh, it's un, it's unbelievable. Long line, but worth it.
2: Uh, tacos. I like Pueblo Viejo.
0: These are this is and news that. to me. I'm, I'm, this is good for me. This. this if you follow me, has... I love
2: yeah, wings. He's a so wings are my jam. And Tommy Want Wingy is best wings <laughs> in Austin.
1: <You laughs> no, I've never
0: me. had. We I need to make this list the all these places. Yeah. But...
1: Have you been to Law of Barbecue? The barbecue's legit as well. Haven't been there either. I, it wasn't in your top two, so yeah. Well, I'd usually ask usually you'd, you'd even been before, <laughs> so that, now they have a brick
2: and mortar. Before it was like the line was ridiculous. Yeah, and we're not, on not on getting for paid that. for you this. Yeah. This
0: is just fun. So they want to sponsor me. Listening. Yeah. yeah. And I, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's been fun, uh, Coach Zilner. Thanks for uh, for being on the show. Uh, good good talk. So good yeah, stuff. thanks for
2: having me. This is a lot of fun.
0: And uh, Coach Hanson, you're the man. Always, I appreciate yeah. you always uh, Nice lead, to be back lead, in person Leading the ship Well that's it from Austin on the team Behind the team podcast Hey we're back in the studio Do us a favor if you haven't done this yet Go on to iTunes Give us a rating and review Help us keep putting out good episodes With with uh, great people and coaches like Coach Zillner We'll keep this thing pushing From Austin, Texas I'm Coach Donnie, Zach Zillner and Mike Hanson Hook them horns Y'all have a good one Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe and thanks so much for tuning in.